Hey folks, you got posing the matrix here on our Thursday night show. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I've been ready for this show for about an hour. This is a first, folks. This is a first. Usually I'm struggling and straining and everything to get everything going right at the last moment. But it looks like today I've got my act together, so I don't know what to say. Um, we'll just hope that the show goes good for the rest of the time that we're on. <laughs> Folks, um, tonight I want to address an issue that, um, I don't know, it's it kind of melds into everything that's going on with the the One World Order and what's going on with our government and how it's kind of become a bastard child of the One World Government and how Joe Biden is a bootlicker of George Soros and and Klaus Schwab and everybody else, you know. <clears throat> it's hard to it's hard to pin down who's kissing who's um took us, you know. I think they're all in a big circle kissing each other's tookuses. But um anyway, um let's uh let's explore something tonight. Um yeah, we know about all about the world going to hell in a handbasket, but what's happening with the what the world commonly knows as the church? Now, let me come up front and say that I have two definitions, actually three, maybe for the church. Okay, you have your the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Um it's not very it's not a very biblical organization, and that's what it is. It's not really a faith, it's an organization. Um so you have that and then you have your your Oh, what do we, what do I call it? Your watered down, um, churchianity sort of, uh, Protestantism. And then you have the true believers. Okay. I'd like to think that I'm one of them. I'll find out someday when I go to be with Yahweh. Right. But I like, you know, I stand, I'd like to stand for righteousness. I, I believe that what, if the Bible said it, if God said it, he meant it and that settles it. Okay. And, um, so that having been said, uh, I'd like to be associated with that group. And then I can kind of break that down into the, the, uh, the Gentile church and the, and the Jewish church. Okay. The Messianic church, which are both one. Okay. But you got to admit that there are some things that the Messianic church does that the Jewish, uh, that the Protestant, or excuse me, here we go. That the, um, the Gentile church doesn't do and vice versa. Okay. And it's a shame because the, the Gentile church always knocks the, the Jewish church for doing what they do and vice versa. You know, uh, maybe someday there'll be some cohesion in all this, but, uh, that remains to be seen and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll hope for the best. You know, what can I say? Um, so the, the church apart from the, the Catholic church, although you could probably count them in. I don't know. This is, tell me what you think about this. Now you're not going to be able to do that because I'm not doing a lot. Well, I'm doing a live show, but nobody knows I'm doing it because, oh yeah, I didn't tell you that Twitch suspended us indefinitely. And it's because I was talking about, come on, I'm going to give you five seconds to guess. Ding. Okay. If you guessed, Talking about the COVID shot, you hit it right on the head. And also, I've been talking a lot about the uh, the powers that be in Washington and stuff, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with it too. But so Twitch decided that they didn't want us anymore; they just uh, cast us to the wind. And I'm really looking forward. Um, I, I might start doing this show on Rumble, just doing a live show on Rumble. 
I have to figure out everything that I have to do, you know, um, and uh, see if Brian can come on at the same time and yada, 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 you know. So, um, you know, that's that's in the works and we'll see what happens because I really want to do a live show where people can come and watch and listen or whatever they decide to do, you know. Um, so uh, anyway, that's in the works and we'll see what where that goes. OK, um, so. This may be a little bit of a lengthy show tonight, okay? Um, I didn't mean for it to be, but, you know, when you start working, it's kind of like when you, you start cleaning your house. Uh, maybe that's a good analogy. You know, you you see this is dirty, and then when you move something to the left or the right, you see that that stuff is dusty on either side. You got to do that. And then you see the cobwebs hanging from the seal. You know, it's it's it could start out as a very simple procedure, and it moves to uh, hell on earth, you know, by <laughs> the time you're done. Um so anyway, um, this is what this kind of turned into tonight. Uh, uh, again, I want to talk about, the, um, well, just as it says on the bottom there, much as the wor- world is going towards a one world order, so is what's commonly known as the church, becoming a one world ecumenical body or church. Um, this has been fought by many for many years. I mean, probably since Protestantism began. Uh, you know, the Catholic Church, uh, Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, they always wanted the Protestants to come back. Oh, come back, come back. You know, we'll love you. Yeah, well, you murdered 70 million Christians <laughs> during the Middle Ages. So I don't think you're sincere. Um, <laughs> right. And um, so, you know, all throughout the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s. And then in the 1700s, you started a little... Um, Denominations started breaking off because one church would, that started out really alive became a dead church or lukewarm church. I like that term. We'll be using that tonight. Um, so, and then, you know, when that church kind of became lukewarm, then Yahweh raised up another church and, you know, it's been going on for the last 300 years about and, um, probably even longer. And, uh, so now we're in the last days. I'm convinced that nobody's ever going to make me believe that we're not in the last days. Okay. And so what we're going to do is um, we're going to read a a scripture out of Revelation chapter 17 that is going to be pertinent to just about everything we're doing today. Okay. And, uh, and then we're going to go in to talk about what the seven churches of Revelation are. And we're going to talk about the seven mountain men, the seven mountain um, manifestation or uh, seven mountain mandate. Okay, and then we're going to look a little more into that because it's a very complicated and um, detailed subject, okay? And you're going to see that Revelation kind of talks about that. And it talks about, you know, we're going to go kind of like in a in a big uh, domino thing. That's what I'm thinking of, dominoes, okay? So the first domino that we're going to push over is um, we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read to you some scriptures, Revelation chapter 17. And it's a very short chapter, actually. So, um, okay. So let's let's start, okay? And um, so this, we're starting with Revelation 17:1, the doom of Babylon, okay? And I'm going to point out pertinent things that are really going to apply to tonight. This whole the whole uh, chapter applies, but there are some pertinent things that really really apply. Okay, uh, chapter verse one. And there came uh, one of the seven angels. You know what? I'm going to change this to where it's the new King James Version. Okay. I I cannot deal with these and thous right now. You know, it's, uh, and I hope this, hold on a sec. Let's see. 
Let's see if this works. Okay. Oh, uh, went back to King James. Goodness gracious. Well, I told you I was ready. Remember? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. All right. Okay, there we are. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked to me, talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. That was the beast that had that, okay, not the woman. All right. Uh, Verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her head and her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Let me scroll here a little bit. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her with the seven heads and the ten horns. Okay, I got to scroll again, folks. Hold on a second. Because I have so much content today, the window I'm looking at is very small. Okay, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains which are which on which the woman sits. Okay, let me read that again. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Remember that, seven mountains, okay? Um, and it could be Rome, but it might not. Because Rome is the city of seven hills, but let's let's look at this some more. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Just a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are the ten kings who have received no kingdom yet. But they will receive authority for one hour as the kings with the beast. These are one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. Okay, let's see. Scroll again. Okay. Oops, too far. Okay. And they will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the word of God, words of God are fulfilled. Okay. One more verse. And the woman that you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay. Now, right there, you see, a lot of scripture has dual meaning, okay? Uh, the Old Testament, or excuse me, the Tanakh, uh, which is the whole Old Testament, many Christians call it the Old Testament, um, are, um, is a foreshadow of the New Testament, of course. 
Uh, but it has dual meaning. It has meaning for then and for now. Okay, a lot of it does anyway, especially the prophecies. So we can look at this and say, yeah, okay, and the woman you saw is the great city who reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, uh, a lot of people think, and I tend to believe that it could be Rome. Um, it also could be a, um, a city in the United States too. Um, a lot of people think that the United States is the is the uh, is Babylon. So okay, so with that in mind. I want to introduce you to the seven churches of Revelation. Okay. Now, this will go real quick, this particular window. Um, yeah. Okay. All righty. Um, so God is talking um, actually to John and asking John to, to speak to the seven churches. And these were all churches that were in what is now called Turkey. It was called Asia Minor at the time. And um, or just Asia. Uh, so the seven churches of Revelation are real physical congregations. When the Apostle John wrote this bewildered last book of the Bible around 95 AD, but many scholars believe the passages have a second hidden meaning. Okay. Sorry, I got four dogs in here with me and I'm waiting for them to go off at any moment. Okay. That takes care of that many times. Okay. Okay, the short letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 are addressed to these specific seven churches. Um, okay, the first one that's mentioned is Ephesus, and um, Ephesus stands for the church that had abandoned its first love for Christ in Revelation 2.4. Um, Smyrna, which is the church that would face severe persecution, and we know that that happened in the 2nd, 3rd century A.D. until um, Constantine came on and, and and, and nationalized the church and made it even worse. Um, at least the church under persecution is a, is a righteous church. Um, but when the church finds freedom, it often, uh, falls by the wayside. Pergamum, the church that needed to repent of sin. Okay. And then we, you know, we're talking about maybe the, the Roman Catholic church during the Middle Ages. Thyatira, the church whose false prophetess was leading people astray. That definitely talks about the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church, excuse me. Um, Sardis, the sleeping church that needed to wake up. I see that as being the church, uh, the late 1700s, 1800s, 1900s. Um, and also it did wake up many times because there were revivals. And like I said, one church replaced the other as one got old and, and lost its way. Okay. And we had the church of Philadelphia, which I think was, uh, the late 1900s and even maybe the 2010. Maybe, maybe even to now. I don't know. I think it's, I think this Philadelphia and Laodicea, which is the last church are, are living together in this age. Um, and that's the church that patiently persevered. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about the American church. Okay. Or the, the church institution, what altogether, but, um, I'm talking about individual believers who, when incorporated with other individual believers who thirst and hunger for righteousness, uh, become the church. Okay. Wherever two or more are gathered. Um, so that church signifies the, the last days church that, um, exists now. And, um, it's a church that is persevering, uh, for the most part. But, uh, then we have the Laodicea, the church, the lukewarm faith. And that church, um, when, when Yeshua is talking to that church, he's basically saying, you need to straighten out or else I'll, I will vomit you from my mouth. That's some pretty serious stuff when the creator of the universe says he's going to vomit you from his mouth, right? So um, anyway, so the Laodicea church, I think, is 
is a church that has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof, okay? And I'm talking about the charismaniacs for the most part. Not all of charismatic church, but the charismaniacs like Bill Johnson's church down in Reading. And we'll go into that in a little while because that is one wild place with some really freaky beliefs. Um, so Laodicea is the, the church that I think is, is alive today or not necessarily alive, but exists today. Um, and it's basically a dead church that, that thinks it's got its act together, but it necessarily doesn't. Okay. Now, this article goes on to say, while uh, these were not the only Christian churches existing at the time, they were situated closest to John, scattered across Asia Minor and what was now is now modern Turkey. We said that each of the letters is addressed to a church angel that may have been a spiritual angel, the bishop or pastor or the church itself. The first part includes a description of Jesus Christ, highly symbolic and different from each church and different for each church. Excuse me. The second part of each letter begins with the words, I know, emphasizing God's omniscience. Uh, Jesus proceeds to praise the church for its merits or its crit- or criticizes it for its faults. The third part contains an exhortation of spiritual instruction on how the church should mend its way or a commendation for its faithfulness. The fourth part includes, includes the message with the words, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is Christ's presence on earth, forever guiding and convicting to keep his followers on the right path. Okay. Uh, Some of these seven churches kept closer to the gospel than the others. Jesus gave each one a short report card. Um, And I'm getting this, folks, by the way. I don't want to. I got to give credit where credit's due. It's um, a a, a website called Learn Religions. It's learnreligions.com forward slash churches dash of dash revelation dash 414-5039. I wonder if that's a phone number. I might try dialing that later. Um, <laughs> that's, I just do weird things like that. Sorry. Okay. All right. You know, let's continue here. Ephesus had abandoned the love it had at first um, in Revelations 2.4. Uh, they lost their first love for Christ, which in turn affected the love they had for others. Smyrna was war- was warmed, excuse me, <laughs> Smyrna was warned that was about to face persecution. Uh, Jesus encouraged them to be faithful unto death and he would give them a crown of life, of, e- of eternal life. Um, let me check something real quick, if you would. <laughs> okay, folks, major fupa of the night so far. I wanted to share with you this article, okay? And let's see, we already did that one. So let's go to where we are right now. Okay. All right, there we are. And you can see, you can see where we are. Okay. Now let me go back to that. Okay. I got to get rid of that. All right. Go to here. Okay. All right. We're all copacetic now. I had to go about and brag about how I was ready on time. See, that was it. Braggers always get corrected. Okay. Okay, Smyrna was warned it was about to face persecution. Uh, Jesus encouraged them to be faithful unto death, and he would give them the crown of life, eternal life. Pergamon was told to repent. It had fallen prey to a cult called the Nicolaitans, heretics who taught that since their bodies were evil, only what they did with their spirit counted. This led to sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Uh, Jesus said that those who conquered such temptations would receive hidden manna 
and a white stone symbolizing special blessings. Thyatira had a false prophetess who was leading the people astray. Jesus promised to give himself, the morning star, uh, to those who resisted her evil ways. Sardis had a reputation for being dead or asleep. Jesus told them to wake up and to repent. Those who did not did would receive uh, white garments and have a name listed in the book of life and would be proclaimed before the God, the father. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. Philadelphia endured patiently. Uh, Jesus pledged to stand with them in their future trials, granting special honors in heaven, the new Jerusalem. And Laodicea had lukewarm faith. Its members had grown complacent because of the riches of the city. Uh, to those who returned to their former zeal, Jesus vowed to share his ruling authority. That describes the church in America. Okay, it really does. Um, we've grown complacent because of the riches in our land. And you can argue all you want about that. But just go to a few churches and see what you get. Now, don't get me wrong. There are good churches out there. There are churches that are poor churches, but the majority of them, Joel Olstein, who we'll, we'll talk about later. Um, Joel Olstein is as far from a Christian as um, the son is from Alpha Centauri, um, but he claims to be a Christian, but he is a, an example of what the church has grown into in many cases. So, okay, now the application to modern churches. Okay, we're almost done with this page. Um, even though John wrote these uh, warnings nearly 2,000 years ago, they still apply to Christian churches today. Christ remains the head of the worldwide church, loving and overseeing it. Many modern Christian churches have wandered from the biblical truth, such as those that teach that prosperity gospel or do not believe in a Trinity. Others have grown lukewarm. Their numbers just going, their members just going through the motions with no passion, no passion of God. Uh, many churches in Asia and the Middle East face persecution. Increasingly popular are progressive churches that base their theology more on current culture than on solid doctrine found in the Bible. Again, we're going to go into that. Um, a huge number of denominations proves thousands of churches have been founded on little more than the stubbornness of their leaders. While these revelation letters are not as strongly prophetic as other parts of that book, they warn today's drifting churches that discipline will come to those who do not repent. You know how many Christians would deny that that would be true? Oh, God loves the church. He would never do it. Yeah, okay. You just keep thinking that. Keep thinking that. Okay. Warnings to individual believers. Just as the Old Testament trials uh, trials of the nation of Israel are a metaphor for the individual's relationship with God, the warnings in the book of Revelation speak to every Christ follower today. These letters act as a gauge to reveal each believer's faithfulness. The Nicolaitans are gone, but millions of Christians are being tempted by pornography on the Internet. The false prophetess of Thyatira has been replaced by TV preachers who avoid talking about Christ's atoning death for sin. And we'll talk about that later. It's the same person uh, and others like him. Countless believers have turned away from their love of Jesus to idolize material possessions. As in ancient times, backsliding continues to be a danger for people who believe in Jesus Christ. But reading these short letters to the seven churches of Revelation serves as a stern reminder in a, in a stern reminder, excuse me, period. <laughs> in a society flooded with temptation, they bring the Christian back to the first commandment. Only the true God is worthy of our worship. Okay. And I gave you the website for that. All right. That's a really awesome, um, really awesome article. Uh, it gets better. Just wait. <laughs> 
Okay. So now we're going to get rid of that and we're going to go down to the next thing. All right, let's, let's look and see what we got here. All right. Now we're going to get into something called the seven mountain mandate. Okay. Uh, the seven mountain mandate is something that churches like Bill Johnson's church down in, in Reading, Bethel Reading, and uh, a bunch of charismaniac churches um, are practicing these days. Um, totally ignoring what scripture says only to a certain degree they will they will use scripture to to validify or validate uh what they believe in and their false doctrine uh there are many christians out there to do that i it seems that yahweh leads me into the path of these people all the time okay and i'll be glad when i go to heaven and i don't have to do that anymore um so let's look and see what we can about this now this is just a um, uh, what do you call it? A Wikipedia article. And we're just going to read, um, this real quick, just like the, t the first three paragraphs. Um, seven mountain mandate is what it's called. It's also, it's the seven mountain mandate. Also the seven mountain mandate, um, seven M some people call it seven mountains of dominionism. Um, it's a conservative Christian. I doubt, I, I disagree with that. Okay. And I'll talk about it in a minute is a conservative Christian movement within the Pentecostal evangelical community. Okay, first of all, these people are not conservative. Okay, they're liberal in a different sort of way than than the dead church. Okay, they're liberal in that they write their own ticket. Um, they're, they're as liberal as liberal can be. Okay, yes, some of the Pentecostal churches are, are have gotten into this. Okay. And some of the evangelical Christianity, but is mostly predominant in the charismaniac movement or charisma. I can't say it. Charismatic movement. Okay. All right. Let's read a little bit about it. The movement is believed by its followers to have begun in 1975 with a purported message from God delivered to evangelicals, Lauren Cunningham, Bill Bright, and Francis Schaefer. Ah, that's a shame because Francis Schaefer had some really good stuff, but if he's the author of this stuff, then I have to discount him. Um, ordering them to invade the seven spheres of society. The idea was not seriously considered until 2000 during a meeting between Cunningham and Lance Wallenau. Well, now, excuse me. Uh, the movement came as prominent uh, after the 2013 publication of Lawrence Wallenau's uh, and Bill Johnson's Invading Babylon, the Seven Mountain Mandate. There he is, Bill Johnson. Okay, so he's been uh, one of the chief proponents of this all along. Um, let's see, the movement was generally supportive of presidency of Donald Trump. I'm glad they said that. With member Paula White becoming the president's spiritual advisor, big mistake. Uh, White claimed that Trump would play a critical role in Armageddon as the United States stands alongside Israel in the battle against Islam. In 2020, Charlie Kirk said, finally, we have a president that understands the Seven Mountain cultural influence during a speech at the Conservative Political Action Committee, the CPAC. Okay. Um, first of all, I don't think Trump knew squat about the Seven Mountains theology. I don't think that he thought that he was the uh, Messiah that was going to come and rescue Israel and, and Armageddon. Uh, there's no, there's no scriptural basis for it whatsoever. But I, I got very concerned when I saw Trump surrounded by these people because I recognized some of them when I saw that picture. These people are dangerous, folks. They are extremely dangerous. 
and they will do anything they have to in order to accomplish their purpose. I don't know if they'd murder people or anything like that, but I wouldn't put it past them. Okay. They, they want to accomplish this. And <laughs> when we get done with reading uh, other parts of the seven mount theology, I'll, I'll, I'll show you how ludicrous this all is. Okay. And I'm going to write it down so I don't forget it. Okay. If I write something down, I don't forget it. Okay. And I forgot it. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, bringing kingdom. You'll see what I mean. Okay. So let's read this. Um, the seven mountain mandate is, is part of dominionism. Maybe I should go to dominionism real quick. So you'll see what I'm talking about here. Why did it do that? Okay. Let's just go back. Okay. I'll just put it over dominionism. Okay. Dominion theory is a group of Christian political ideologies that seek to institute a nation, which is governed by Christians and based on their understanding of biblical law, extents of rule and ways of acquiring govern governing authority are varied for example, Dominion theology can include, <laughs> oh, isn't that funny when they do that? Um, well, anyway, let me explain it. Actually, I think the next article explains it, or maybe down here. Okay. Pardon, okay, let's continue. I think it explains it right here. Followers claim that the biblical base for the movement is derived from Revelation 17, 1 through 18, where in verse 9 reads, and here is the mind which hath wisdom, the seven heads are the seven mountains, the seven areas of which the movement believes control society and which they seek to control are family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. They believe that their mission is to take over the world. It's justified by Isaiah 2.2. I wonder if I can... Isaiah 2 is the second chapter of... Okay. This book. Okay, just tell us about Isaiah. Okay, anyway. Uh, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of all mountains. Followers believe that by fulfilling the seven mountains mandate, they can bring about the end times. Now, this isn't totally true, okay? Yes, they can bring about the end times, but let's expand it a little further. They believe, in essence, that if they take over these areas of society, which is about just about everything, every part of society, that they can make the world a perfect place so that when they can present a perfect world to Jesus when he returns. Now, I don't know if you've read your scriptures, folks, but Yeshua said that things are going to be so bad when he comes back that he's going to have to shorten time because if he doesn't, no flesh would survive. If that's what these people are trying to do, then I have to wonder if these people are or the seven mountain theology is actually a church or the, the church of revelation that's going to take over the world, become a one world church. Not only that, but it's going to be the church that leads to his return. In other words, it may be a church that the devil has taken over. And when you see some of the stuff that's happened down in, in Reading and at Bethel, uh, you might agree that that might be well on the way. But I don't want to be part of this because, first of all, like I said, Yeshua is coming back to save the world from this, from this, um, evilness that's, that's going to pervade at that end. And, and, and most of the people are going to be dead at that time. And if these people are going to respond, be responsible for the people that are dead, 
or leading up to all all that, then they're not from him. They're from him downstairs. Okay. All right. All right. So good. I'm sorry. I get a little worked up when I talk about this kind of stuff. Um, and naturally so. Um, I don't know. I just, when, when people start messing with God's kingdom and I'm part of that kingdom and it really pisses me off. So I have to, and people are going, Oh, he said pissed off. He's not part of the brotherhood, blah, 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 you know? Okay. So let me get rid of that. Okay. Now we're going to go into a little more explanation of what this, uh, seven mountains theology is. Okay. And it, it's, are you strapped in folks? Are you strapped into your chair? Um, I swear. No, I don't want to say that. I don't swear, but I, I really think that people that listen to the show should buy chairs with seatbelts in them. I really do. Because we present some really weird stuff that you would never think was going to happen, but it's happening all over the place. Okay. So let's go here. Okay. Uh, let's see. What is it? Seven. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I didn't. Okay, folks. I, I forgot. I didn't. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. Um, I'm just going to have to read this one and wing it, okay? I didn't set this one up to show you guys, okay, or you you folks. So it is, um, what is the Seven Mountains Mandate Prophecy? Okay, this is by Matt Slick. It was um, put on the internet May 4th, 2022, and it's under the uh, the heading Minor Groups and Issues, New Apostolic Reformation. That's what these people are called, folks, the New Apostolic Reformation. If you've listened to the show at any length for maybe the last year, you know I've approached this before, and this group is a bunch of wackos. They're, they're whack jobs for the from the right from the beginning. Okay, and you'll see that because we're going to get into some really strange stuff. Okay, now this article is talking, and by the way, if you want to go here, it's at carm.org, and just type in the search um, "New Apostolic Reformation." Uh, what is the Seven Mountain Mandate prophecy? Okay, there you go. All right. The Seven Mountain Mandate, or 7M, is also called the Seven Mountains Prophecy. It deals with the mandate for Christians to take dominion over so-called seven spheres of influence in more modern times. Each of these spheres is referred to as a mountain, and many who claim to be modern apostles and prophets have been prophesying that Christianity will conquer these mountains just before the return of Jesus. Okay, let me let me get into something here. I think it might be down at the bottom. Okay, you see this schmuck down here? This guy is like the schmuck of all schmucks, and I don't mind calling him that. He's not my brother. He's not a Christian. Okay. This guy, his name is Rick Joyner. He calls himself a prophet. But let me ask you a question. You know all about Masons and stuff like that, I'm assuming, if I'm, you, you know, you've been listening to me or others at any length. We know that the Masons are corrupt, that they're a satanic organization. Okay, I'll be nice and call them Luciferians. Same difference. Um this guy, and they have their knighthoods and stuff like that. Well, this guy, um, he is uh, called a Knight of Malta. Now, the Knights of Malta are not a Christian organization by far. As a matter of fact, they're on the same order as the, as the Masons and uh, another knighthood uh, uh, organizations that are in the world. They're not of Christ. They're in the world. And... You go to his website, he'll even say that he is, and he'll give all the reasons why it's okay to be a Knight of Malta, but it's all crap, folks. It's all crap, okay? This guy is dangerous, 
very dangerous because what he says, people believe. If he told them to go out and start a riot somewhere, I have no doubt that nine out of 10 people that he tells to do that would do it. Okay, that's my opinion. Okay, and it's just amazing that a person could be a knight of Malta, yet say he's a prophet in in a Christian church. Well, he's not in a Christian church. He's he's in the, the Seven Mandate Church, Seven Mountain Mandate Church, and that's not a Christian organization. Okay, so in a way, he's kind of right, but he's not a prophet in the traditional Christian church that Yeshua set up um, at the beginning. Okay. All right, the seven mountains. Okay, did I read that already? It deals with the mandate of Christian. Okay, I did. All righty, so let's see. I think each of these prophesying, even these spears is referred to as a mountain, and many claim to be modern apostles and prophets. Oh, yeah, that's another thing with this with this clown car that they call a faith. Um, they say that, and it is in Scripture, and it says that he's given them to be prophets and apostles and prophets and, and teachers, and it lists a litany of different things that, that Yahweh has set up within the church in order to help, help his church to thrive. But because the, the Scripture starts out with apostles and prophets, they think, and unrightfully so, that apostles and prophets are supposed to be heads over everybody else in the church. You and me, nah, we're nothing. Okay, even though I've I've got the prophetic gift, uh, I would have to pass stringent tests and be a false prophet in order to join their their numbers, and I'm not going to do that. Um, and I would never do that. So that's that's their hierarchy, okay? And I mean, if a teacher has something to say to the rest of the church, he's got to pass it by these people, uh, the apostles and prophets. If a pastor has anything to say, he's got to pass it through the apostles and prophets in order to get permission to do it in that, in that organization. Okay. It's a dangerous organization, folks. Um, Dominionist is the dominionism, excuse me. Okay. They have been prophesying that Christianity will conquer these mountains before the return of, uh, before Jesus's return to earth. There it is right there before Jesus's return to earth. See how I'm high. Oh, you can't see it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm highlighting it here. Um, so in other words, they're going to make the world a perfect place and and be so nice to give it to Jesus when he comes back to earth. Well, you know what? Jesus said that he's going to look at some people that claim to be Christians and he's going to say, I knew you not. And I think that this group is going to be part of that. Now, they mentioned two people or, or three people earlier, Lauren Cunningham, Bill Bright, and Johnny Enlow. Okay. Now, According to them, uh, each three had a little bit of a different idea of what those seven mountains are, okay? Laura, uh, Lauren Cunningham says uh, the first one's the home, the second one's the church, the third, third one are schools, the fourth one are government and politics, the fifth one is media, the sixth, art, entertainment, and sports, and the seventh, commer- commerce, science, and technology. Now, Bill Bright says that the seven are religion, family, education, which kind of, well, no. He's got it backwards or opposite. Okay. Religion, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business. Johnny Enlow says that it's media, government, education, economy, religion, celebration. What the heck that is? Um, and family. I guess celebration is supposed to be art and entertainment. Um, I don't know. <laughs> There's not very much to celebrate in, edu- in, uh, in, uh, 
arts and entertainment. Um, and if he is celebrating it, then he's got other problems he's got to worry about. Now, according to Johnny Enlow, each mountain presently has an associated demonic force attached to it. And, you know, I, I don't doubt this, that there are demonic forces of uh, principalities and powers that are over these different areas of society. Okay. But I think that's where it stops. I don't think we know which ones are which. Okay. And if anybody does, then they've probably been listening to somebody strange. And I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, each mountain has presently has an associated demonic, demonic force attached to, to it. He says that there are demonic principalities rule, presently ruling each of these secular spheres. These demonic forces need to be vanquished. In addition, he says that the seven spheres of influence correspond to the seven nations of Deuteronomy 7.1. And right away, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know what Deuteronomy 7.1 says, okay? Although I could look it up real quick. I think that that would be kind of tantamount to our um, to what we're doing here. Let's see, Deuteronomy 7.1. Uh, seven dots one. Okay, let's see what it says. Okay. All right, let's look at a valid translation. So many of them aren't anymore. I'll look at the King James. Uh, let's see. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land where thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites the Gir and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. Okay, that's what that verse says. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Um, so anyway, uh, according to these uh, people of Beelzebub, um, number one is the media. The mountain of influence, okay, is the first column. The second one's Deuteronomy 7 nation. And the third one is a principality, demonic principality. Um, first of all, <laughs> first of all, they get it wrong in many ways. Um, demons are spirits and therefore they cannot manifest into the physical. So a lot of these characters have either before or will in revelation time, um, manifest in the physical okay so right away they got it wrong lucifer is not a demonic principality okay lucifer is the angel um the fallen cherub okay he's an angel he's a cherubim so he's not demonic he's not a demon although he might be ruler over a demonic principality okay but he is definitely not a demon nor is apollyon that's a spirit that's a fallen angel beelzebub is a fallen angel it's another name for satan Mammon is a is a fallen angel. Uh, the spirit of religion um, would probably be a fallen angel, I would think. And Baal, uh, which is number seven, is a fallen angel. So while they may be leaders over a, prin a principality, um, they are they are not in themselves um, demonic. They're fallen angel. And if you're a, um, a religious leader and you don't know the difference between demonic and fallen angels, then you're lost already. Okay. Anyway, the mountain of influence, uh, the media, it's the Deuteronomy nation is Hittites and the demonic principality is Apollyon. For the government, it's the Girgashites and that's Lucifer. Uh, for education, it's the Amorites and that's Beelzebub. Ah. 
for economy, that's the Canaanites, and that's mammon. Um, for religion, it's the Perizzites, and that's the spirit of religion. For celebration, it's the Hivites, and that's Jezebel. And for family, it's the Jebusites, and that's Jebusites, excuse me, and that's Baal. Um, the Seven Mountain Mandate, or 7M, which is supported and taught by the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, is basically is based primarily on two verses in the Bible. Okay, um, yeah, what the heck? Let's do it. God, and the first one is says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And the second scripture is now will come. It will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of all mountains and be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go upon the, up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 2, 2 and 3. Uh, for more scriptures related, see Micah 412. Um, so anyway, that's the two scriptures that they base a lot of their theology on. Okay. Okay, Genesis 128 is commonly referred to as the dominion mandate, where God has instructed Adam to subdue the earth. Uh, it is a summation of the creation account of in which Adam, mankind, receives the instructions of what to do. This reflects the creative and sovereign nature of God, nature of God that is shown in the human nature. We are made in God's image, Genesis 1:26. As part of this, Christians are to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28:18 through 20, which encompasses all areas of life. And let's see down at Isaiah 2, 2 through 2, 2 through 3 speaks of the last days. This is the eschatological um, since the couple of last days also mentioned in Acts 2.17 is a period of time we have been in for approximately 2,000 years. Uh, the interpretation of scripture and its fulfillment in the New Testament last days is varied. Interpretations range from literal governmental organizations to all people groups. And as a conclusion, what do we get here? The seven mountain mandate is a hyper focus on Christian dominion theology that does not seem to have centra the centrality of Christ's atoning sacrifice as a central theme. In all of my research, this fellow says, um, in, in it so far, making disciples of unbelievers is not the central issue. Instead, it's taking dominion. The concern, this concerns me since it could be a strategy used by the devil to take the focus off of Christ and put it on Christian work in, in the battle of uh, the battle to dominate the world. In this, we need to be very careful. Yes, very good. Guys, right on. Okay. Um, I'm making more and more room here. Um, all right. So <laughs> let me see how we're doing here. 47 minutes. Hey, we're working. We're working pretty good here. Okay. Um so what I want to do next is what has been up on the screen the whole time. Okay, maybe you perused it a little bit while I was reading, and that's okay. Um, this is going to talk about um, the name of the article is Jesus Teach Me Yoga, Bethel's Holy Unholy Yoga. Okay, now this is just one thing that Bethel's into. Okay, 
Um, other things are um, what's called grave sucking. And that involves uh, Christians that are alive today. Um, they say you can lay on the grave of a dead Christian who had the Holy Spirit and that you can actually pray and get the Holy Spirit that was left over and not quite all used when that person was alive and that you can suck that up into your body and use it. Okay. Yeah. I, you heard me. <laughs> That's what they believe. And there, there are other weird things. Their singing group is a, is a, a litany of uh, strangeness. Um, it sounds good sometimes from the outside, but when you look at the people that are actually putting it all together, my goodness, it's uh, the calling the clown, so to speak, you know? Um, anyway, um, Let's let's look at this now because this will show you how far a Christian church can go if they get off the path, so to speak. And remember, we're talking about, um, we'll finally be talking about the jump from ecumenism to interfaith, which is basically ecumenism is when all the church, when, when one church wants all the churches to believe the same thing and get together and have a kumbaya party and everything else. Um and and they they neglect the truth that one denomination has and Lou just they neglect it just to get along with the others you know remember Rodney King why can't we all just get along well there's a good answer for that because some people don't have the truth and if you don't have the truth then you you put aside or if you do have the truth and you put aside your truthfulness to join another group of people what is that called I and my walk with the Lord I mean. What I've heard over the years, that's called backsliding. It's called falling away and other things, okay? So something we're not supposed to do, okay? Now, remember, we're talking about this in relation to what the world's doing with what, wanting to join a new world order or establish a new world order, putting aside things like goodness and hope and, and religion uh, in order to um, accomplish a goal of everybody uh, getting together and singing Kumbaya, Okay. Um, so what the world is doing, the church is doing. Okay. In many respects, not all the church, but, uh, especially the charismaniacs. Um, so anyway, let's, um, go ahead. And this is, uh, might be a little long to read, but you know what? I ain't got nothing else to do. Okay. So this is called, um, Jesus teach me yoga. Bethel's holy and holy yoga. All right. Here we go. You got your seatbelt buckled, folks. It's This is going to be a wild ride. And you're going to wonder at the end of this how any, I mean, those of you that know Yeshua or Jesus, you're going to wonder at the end of this how any people or person or group of people can can do this, you know? I don't know. You have to have a spirit of unrighteousness, I guess, to do it. Anyway, Benny Johnson, the wife of Bill Johnson, is a pastor, is a pastor at Bethel Running Church. Okay, what's wrong with that? Women are not supposed to be pastors. Okay. All right. Among her many spiritual practices that are not found in the Bible, like contemplative prayer for the mystics and for practicing reflexology, she is also a yoga practitioner in what has become known as Yahweh Yoga on her Facebook page. These consist of unbiblical practices derived from other spiritual systems like Christians should not be practicing nor even experimenting with because of the origins of the anti-Christian nature of the beliefs and practices surrounding them. Apparently, Bill and Benny want to lead the Bethel Church movement and certainly Christianity into thinking and taking back yoga to redeem it from Hinduism, 
Buddhism, and the New Age movement, because according to Bethel's philosophy laid out in their book, The Physics of Heaven, it was taken from Christianity. The proof of this outrageous claim is completely non-existent. They claim they are taking the Eastern aspect of yoga out. So why then even call it yoga, right? (laughs) Because the word yoga means to be yoked with or to become one with the Brahman, the highest Hindu god. Bethel, like others, are purposely attempting to repackage yoga in order to get the Christian church to practice it. Yoga is being used and practiced in an even greater degree, degree, excuse me, by them that, that by them, by, excuse me, let me start again. Yoga is being used and practiced in an even greater degree by them than the interfaith emergent church movement. This is what we're going to talk about in a minute or a few minutes. Um, if they can conglomerate yoga into the church today, the ultimately nothing could be forbidden to enter the church in the future. Anything can be used by them in their pragmatic approach of redeeming anything, not only from the new age movement, but from any religious or occult practice. For they say they are precious truths hidden in the new age that belong to us as Christians and need to be extracted from the, from the worthless. See where I'm going with this, folks? My goodness, or where they're going with it, I should say. Um, so what's next? Is it um, prostitution? You know, is it, you know, or, uh, pick your thing, you know, that other religions are into. Um, or even worldly institutions. Okay. Jonathan Welton, one of the authors of The Physics of Heaven, says, every time a counterfeit shows up, Take it as the Lord presenting you with an opportunity to reclaim um, the church's stolen property. This clearly includes yoga. Okay, Bethel's statements of practice. (laughs) Here we go. All right. We know that yoga is a spiritual discipline, much like fasting, meditation, and prayer that cannot be owned by one specific religion. Okay, that's a quote. Okay, I'm not saying that. Uh, while yoga predates Hinduism, Hindus are were the first to give yoga a written structure. Yoga postures, yeah, postures were originally named Sanskrit. Wait a minute, where am I? Um, Sanskrit holy yoga teaches instructors to teach in their native tongue to avoid any confusion. Stating that yoga predates Hinduism is not true. She she learned wrong. Yoga is directly attached to Hinduism. The Hindu book in the Bhagavad Gita lists Lord Shiva, who calls, who is called the destroyer, as Yoga Shwara, the Lord of Yoga, the first Hatha Yoga teacher. His hair is entwined in serpents. That's where yoga came from. He is immersed in his own divine nature as the serpent energy of the goddess Kundalini flowing around throughout the body. Okay, his body. Uh, they say holy yoga is exper- experiential, yeah, experiential worship created to deepen people's connection to Christ. They say yoga will change you as a human. Yeah, I believe that. Yes, it certainly will. See, he, he believes it too. Um, yes, it certainly, yes, it certainly will, but it will never change you into the image of Christ as they claim. On their website, it says we are Christ-centered. That may settle it for some people, but these words carry no weight for the for the Bible says God hates a mixture and you can't even, and you can't, excuse me, have more 
of an impure mixture than yoga with Christ and the Bible, thrice in the Bible. Sorry, folks. Um, and the Bible, which is our God's um, word. Okay. This is a very, I have a very wide screen, folks. So if you see me going like this, it's because one sentence ends and I got to go way over here. And I'm thinking about maybe using my finger when I'm reading this. Okay. In one video that actually that actually introduced it by saying, uh, we are, we are serenity. We are peace. We are yoga. We are Jesus. Really, they are yoga and Jesus. Really, they are yoga and Jesus. It says, okay. Uh, then several women repeat, I am holy yoga. Then they are holding up signs that say peace, love, and yoga, warriors chosen, and most ironic, truth seekers. It's sad and very disturbing to see how they deceive, how deceived they are to embrace this inside the church. And if you want to look it up, it's HTTPS, um, colon slash slash holy yoga dot net training dash overview forward slash. Okay. One young master from Bethel states in her appeal to join, what is yoga? What is history? What are chakras? What are sutras? Yamas and niyamas. What does God think about them? Since they say their mission is to bring love, the love of Christ through this uh, modality of yoga. However, biblically, God rejects it. Why? Because Bible does not give us an example of using another religion's practice and ways to bring the gospel message. And the Lord says, what does light have to do with darkness? Brune, um, excuse me, Brooke Boone of the topic Om, you know, you ever hear when they're doing their incantations or their, their meditation, Om, Om. Yeah. Uh, funny thing. Uh, I'm going to stop here for a second because I need to regroup, but, um, when I worked at the state hospital, I used to have to take patients down to sometimes to religious services. And one of those services was um, meditation, uh, Hindu, the Hindu uh, service. And um, I would never go in. I'd always sit down and, oh, the woman was talking about we had to, that the people that were in there had to relinquish their monkey brain, she called it. And then, and then uh, think of nothingness. And I don't know if you know what that does, but when you, empty your brain out. There's always something that wants to fill it up. Okay. Um, and then, uh, then you would hear this little ding for a bell. And one of my coworkers walked down and, um, and said something kind of funny, um, uh, hair Krishna or something like that. But anyway, you know, that's what it was all about. It was emptying your mind so that according to them, so that you could be, um, more, pragmatic or more free to, to for your mind to accept things. But like I said, when you empty your mind, um, there's always something that wants to move in and take over. Okay. Brooke Boone on the topic of Ohm says, she, she says in the classic sense, it's get this folks. It's the vibrational hum of the universe that at the base of everything is this hum or vibration that is the unifying sound of the universe. They practice the OM in order to combine energies in class, basically, so that it's not about deity. It's not necessarily about worship at all. Uh, there is no natural hum of the universe. This creative hum, and what we want to do is OM so that all of us get the same collective page. Um, the idea is to bring the energy together. She then explains we do not 
ohm because it lends itself to more questions than answers. Um, in other words, we would cause controversy and she has no problem doing that. So our perspective prayer does not, does the same thing. She says, um, let me stop here and ask, um, is that what prayer does bring energy together? She has reinterpreted what biblical prayer is. She goes on to say that there's nothing inherently wrong with the Om as well. When we teach the energy portion, the chakra portion, we use scripture from first John one through five. I'm sorry. It's either laugh or cry folks. She goes on to the, on to misinterpret the passage as an idea of speaking in, in creation. God was the word and God is the word. So there is this essence of vibration in speaking. The word is the vibration and it's the frequency of how God emulates himself. She then says that the creation story that God spoke into creation, the creation into existence. So inherently when we speak, there is a vibrational tone that um, there is a creational vibrational tone that creates uh, to own or not to own Christian yoga, daily meditation, Bro- uh, Brooke Boone. Okay. I hope that's understandable. I, I don't understand it all, but um, it is what it is. Uh, concerning this biblical, excuse me, <laughs> concerning this bizarre mis- misinterpretation of first John one, one through five in second Peter three sixteen, it says that under the inspiration of the Holy spirit, Peter, in reference to some of the things hard to understand, says that untalk and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they as they do also to the rest of the scriptures. The sad thing about them using 1 John 1, 1 through 5 in this false way is that anybody taught the Bible correctly would never interpret it in a way that they have. they Interpretation is a typical New Age interpretation, completely divorced from the biblical perspective. The idea is fully incorporated in Bethel through their teachings of the book, The Physics of Heaven, and opens the door for a New Age view. So it encourages Christians exploring the mysteries of God in in sound, light, and vibrations, frequency, energy, and quantum physics. They describe God as bringing a new sound vibration from heaven to earth, a new Pentecost. Judy Franklin writes in the book of uh, book in the book a prophetic word on the importance of this sound, and quote the people who hear this sound that I will release will be changed. The sound that I will release will cause people to think differently. Oh man! See, folks, in the physical world, in the secular world, they're trying to get us to think differently. Same thing here. Okay, so I. I don't see any difference between uh, Klaus Schwab and Bill Johnson. I really don't. Same thing, different packaging. Okay. Uh, they go on to say this retains your DNA itself, along with unbiblical things that God's word does not address or teach. The girl who's teaching yoga has very little knowledge of what yoga really is. And the sadder thing is that she is teaching and deceiving others into this as she deceives herself. Hinduism, let me see, I gotta scroll down a little folks, okay? Okay, well, this is where we are and this is where we're gonna have to go to, okay? So, all right, in the Hinduism, Om is a meditative chant that one does before, during, and after the yoga asanas, or the body postures. Brahma, the creator said, I am one, but I may become many. 
According to Hinduism, this thought created a vibration that settled into sound, the sound Om, and from this <clears throat> vibration, everything in the universe sprang into existence. Om is a, also a representation of the four states of the Supreme Being as one embraces that stillness. Uh, one Upanishad, <laughs> I'm not very good at Hindu stuff, folks, uh, Upanishad, I guess it's pronounced that way, teaches that the perfect state of super consciousness state is the part of Om. Um, vibrations from it clear and cleanse a person's energy system, the chakras. It is <clears throat> to connect us deeper with the entire universe. The practitioner become, can become one with the vibration and feel the universe as their own body. The last sound of Om or Om um, is a pure consciousness of the self uh, or the Atman, which is the true self beyond ego and false self. Boy, no wonder Hinduism is all messed up. I can't understand this, and I don't think Hindus can either. Uh, when we use inspired practices of other gods from the East or from anywhere else, as our hearts and minds are not protected, but would rather embrace every wind of doctrine, which is exactly what we see happening to people in these movements. They say holy yoga embraces the essential elements of yoga. Their course, their coursework includes Christian mystics, the Yoga Sutra, or which, which is the ancient Indian teachings from the East, the chakras or the wheels of the so-called spiritual energy center inside the human body, including physiology and the breath of meditation and the movement and the movement. Um, advanced, advanced assists, posture, yoga tricks, breath work, meditation, and physical postures, which are all part of Hinduism's yoga, which, uh, which even the yogis will warn can be dangerous, even if practiced correctly. Um, holy yoga embraces the essential element of yoga, uh, breath work, meditation, physical postures, and all these elements. Christ is the focus of our intentional worship. That's what they say. Okay, but the claim, they claim that Christ is the focus of their intention on, and worship. How can it he be when they have yoga as the basis? It is not biblically possible when, when you have a person being yoked to another God in the yoga positions, even when, if they are not aware of, them, of it themselves. They have Christianized yoga just enough to sound acceptable, believed to the uninformed and undiscerned and emotionally driven person, Again, if they can incorporate yoga into the church, then it is another wall of defense broken down <clears throat> that guarded the church. Bethel states, holy yoga exists to establish uh, Christ-centered communities across the globe where individuals are intersected by the living God through the practice of yoga and living beyond themselves. Um, here's another quote. We exist to take the gospel to the ends of the earth through the modality movement, which means by experience, holy yoga exists to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth through the modality of yoga. It is <clears throat> most basic in, in its most basic form. Yoga is comprised of three tenets, asana or posture, breathwork and meditation. It is our aim to offer a sacred space that will allow you to grow in intimacy in Christ. We pray these guided meditations and simple tools will foster your relationship with God. Um, how can another religious system than Jesus, how can another religious system that Jesus does not mention or use do this? 
another religious system with different gods. God's name will not be glorified through another religious system with its various gods. The fact is God's word is against this and addresses it through Isaiah. Isaiah 2.6, the Lord rebuked the house of Jacob because they were filled with Eastern ways. I never read that before. That's interesting. In Acts 19.19, and it says, and many who used magic arts brought their books together and burned them. Unlike Bethel, they don't try to redeem the occult. The next verse says, the word of God grew mightily and prevailed. Okay, I think we get the vision, right? Or the idea of what's going on here. It's a non-biblical practice that can cause harm in a believer and in a church. And um, we're told to stay away from it, yet Bethel thinks that they can use it and somehow make it work. Um, I think that um, <clears throat> the um, definition of insanity is trying something over and over again that doesn't work, trying to think, trying to use it, making think it will work, you know? So, okay, so that was Jesus Teach Me Yoga. So this is what happens when you open yourself up to garbage, okay? Uh, garbage in, garbage out. It's a saying that's used in computer terms. But unlike computers, you know, you can feed a computer a piece of garbage and it'll just take that piece of garbage in and that piece of garbage will just exist as a piece of garbage. But if you put it into a person, it warps and twists the mind and the heart and the spirit, and it causes people to go off on weird tangents, just like Bethel Redding. Okay. So let's get rid of that. And let's see. Hey, we're down to our last one. Okay. Been on for an hour and nine minutes, and we're doing really good, actually. Um, let's see. So let's go there. So, so on screen stream, excuse me. And this is another article from Let Us Reason. This is a really awesome ministry, folks. <clears throat> and this is going to talk about um, the jump from ecumenism to interfaith. Now, like we explained earlier that ecumenism was when all the churches get together in a big kumbaya thing. Let's all get together and you give up that, I'll give up this, you give up that over there, and we'll all learn to live together. And it waters down each and every segment of every person that does that, okay? And it's something that Yahweh tells us not to do, right? So anyway, let me go over here. All right. I'm going to try to get through. This is actually is a lot shorter than the last article, folks. So, okay, jump the jump from ecumenism to interfaith. To understand where we are today, we need to go over a few uh, of the major turning points in the last 50 years. In 1962 at St. Pilikers. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long day, folks. In 1962, at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, Vatican II gives strength to growing ecumenical movement and lays the groundwork for the acceptance of interfaith. Pope John XXIII resided over the council's proceedings. According to M. Basil Pennington, a prominent Catholic priest, the council urged all Christians to act positively to preserve and even promote all that is good in other religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, and other religions, uh, the New World uh, Religion, Gary uh, Ka. Okay. In 1986, Pope John Paul II held an interfaith summit in Assisi, Italy, that had leaders from the world's major religions and in, in, uh, initiated by the Pope himself, 
would represent a visible transition from traditional ecumenism to interfaithism. Interesting. So he's the one that started that. Okay, in 1993, on the 100th anniversary of the Parliament of World Religions convened in Chicago, 5,500 religious leaders, that's 5,500 religious leaders of various religions and denominations attended at the Parliament of the World's Religious Religions in Chicago in 1993. One of the main lectures was entitled, A Proposal to Evolve the Parliament Toward a United Nation of Religions. In his keynote speech, former UN Assistant Secretary General Dr. Robert Mueller called for the establishment of a permanent World Council of Religion by 1995, along with the lines of the United Nations. Uh, many sense that this parliament presented a global interfaith movement one step nearer to much closer co- collaboration. By the way, Mueller was a follower of, Doc, of um, Telehar D. Chardin, and wrote the book, New Genesis, Shaping a Global Spirituality in 1984. Ooh, 1984, interesting. <clears throat> the chairman of the parliament, Dr. David Ramage, said in the next step, saw the next step as one setting up centers of interfaithism in various key regions of the world and then networking relationships between them. For various sector, from various sectors, the concept of unity with all religions was being forged as the goal. The ecumenical interfaith movement um, is at work throughout the world today more than any other since the time of Babel. Although these terms are often interchangeable, ecumenism had to be interpreted as an attempt to unify Christian churches. Interfaith is is far broader. It goes beyond all borders of the Christian religion attempting to unify the world's religions. The Spirit of God leads us... Let me here okay the spirit of god leads us to god by the gospel message not by having faith in god we are all getting we all get saved the same way but not with the same circumstances without the crucifixion and resurrection there is no salvation because we cannot place faith in the gospel this is exactly what the interfaith movement is attempting to do remove the gospel to reduce christianity to be on equal terms with all other religions and it has its promoters and it has its promoters who intentionally do this and those by ignorance do this. Okay. In his book, Third Millennium Teens, George Barna recorded the, this fact. 63% of church-going uh, Christian teens said they believed Muslims, Buddhists, and Christians, Jews, and all other people prayed to the same God, um, even though they used different names for their God. <clears throat> They're no longer isolated. This, excuse me, these are no longer isolated beliefs, but have become worldviews as our culture has shifted. So has the church. Some surveys show the confusion. In June, the Pew Forum on Religious and Public Life published a controversial survey uh, in which 70% of Americans said that they believe religions other than theirs could lead to eternal life. See what happens when you don't read your Bible, folks? Okay. In August, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public and Public asked the question again and released the answer. 65% of respondents, again, that other religions could lead to eternal life. Furthermore, half also thought that atheists could go to heaven. Nearly as many Christians said that you could achieve eternal life by just being a good person as 
has said that you had to believe in Jesus. And there's a link there. You can go to this article. This article, by the way, is letusreason.org forward slash emerge 10.htm. Okay. Uh, nearly, let's see. Okay. That was that. Okay. <clears throat> An article titled Interfaith Council Breaks Down Barriers, <clears throat> excuse me, related how over 100 individuals gathered at a California mosque to discuss tolerance and love between between differing faiths and to dispel negative stereotypes that surround Islam. According to the news report, the uh, leader of the mosque, Imam Mohammed Jamal Daoudi, said he believes the barriers that have existed among Muslims, Jews, and Christians must break down. He told the interfaith congregation, Muslims worship the same God as Christians and Jews, adding that when Muslims refer to Allah, they refer to the name of God. The article noted, uh, this barrier must come down to establish a global community to help all mankind come to know God, Daoudi said. Notice that Daoudi says Christians, Muslims, and Jews must help form a global community for a specific purpose, to help all mankind come to know God. The problem, however, is that each of these religions disagree on how mankind can know God. Others at the conference agree with Daoudi. The Antelope Valley Press noted the noted uh, the Reverend Don Welch of Antelope Valley Church, a religious science of religious science and president of Antelope Valley Interfaith Council, said the people must do more than just tolerate the beliefs of other faiths. Emphasis added. He uh, he said, "We are all spiritual in nature. We communicate we communicate spirit to spirit." Welch added that truth is expressed in various words according to the culture in which they were spoken. Welsh's attitude expressed the words people do expressed in the words people do more than just tolerate the beliefs of other faiths clearly clearly enunciates the unbiblical philosophy of ecumenical interfaith dialogue today uh, that tolerance itself is no longer acceptable. In fact, the entire concept of tolerance no longer implies that one simply allows another to voice his beliefs, but rather it has come to mean that one must embrace all the beliefs and opinions as viable truth. Uh, to do otherwise is considered intolerant. To possess any firm convictions and to believe that one's religion or faith is correct and others are false is now considered intolerant bigotry. Society as this is a quote, society as a whole not only interfaith movements has moved beyond the traditional definition of tolerance and has concluded that all men need to embrace all beliefs as truth because the truth is now relative rather than absolute. <laughs> okay. Now this is in the February 19th, 2000 edition of California's Antelope Valley newspaper. Okay. Meetings like these have increased worldwide. Uh, they combine of many religions <clears throat> Uh, excuse me, the combining of many religions would not survive on their own and their influence would be weak, but brought together, they become strong and influential and undeniable. Recently, an, a recent number of evangelical leaders signed a document by Muslims titled A Common Word Between Us and You, believing that Christians and Muslims need to come together because they worship a common God. Muslims, Muslim leaders with their own letter uh, called on two Abrahamic faiths to love God and 
Neighbors Together, issued um, by the Yale Centers for Faith and Culture. Um, what they want is leaders of both faiths to hold dialogues and build relations to reshape the two common communities to generally reflect a common love for God of for God and for one another. Excuse me. Uh, the Christian letter states uh, the Christian letter states, excuse me, that was part of that. Uh, the response to this document, some of those who signed the Christian response, Rick Warren, big surprise there. Uh, Brian McLaren, uh, Bill Hybels, uh, Leith Anderson, Jim Wallace, uh, president of so- Sojourners, um, his name is John Stott, rector emeritus of All Souls Church in London, and Leith Anderson, president for the National Association for Evangelicals, Fuller Seminary, Biola University, YWAM, Wheaton College, Emergent Village Assemblies of God, and numerous others. The signers had a number of points in common, uh, the concept of dialogue and that that their propensity towards the contemplative and the emerging spiritualities. I do believe my voice is starting to go, folks. Um, So I'm going to hurry up and get this done here. Uh, The signers have a number of, okay, I read that. Uh, One has to wonder what kind of leaders these men are are to not know the differences between Islam and Christianity and not the same, that are not the same and can never be made the same. What what Jesus taught should be familiar. Uh, How can Muslims love God when they reject the one sent to show his love for them? The The fundamental belief is denial of Jesus as the son of God and the gospel, and his death for our sins. We are seeing more and more of these movements for agreements uh, from those of influence in the church. None of this is beneficial or biblical. It is tearing the fabric of the church that is built on the truth. Um, This new age movement is not, excuse me, the new age movement is not something that sprang up in the 80s. The seeds were being sown by Alice Bailey, who, sta- who stated, who stated and stated, <laughs> uh, we are seeing the surge of new spirituality that is an initiation into the synthesis. The shift in to unify is not limited to religious sector. It has been going on through scientific intellectualism to philosophers and theosophists. If people can be convinced there is no difference uh, between each other from scientific view, we are all the same atoms and similar DNA. The evolutionary idea of Darwin can then, um, of Darwin can take on a new form <clears throat> that everyone can own. Uh, we are all one cell, not just limited to humanity, but all, of all creatures of the earth, spiritual, environmentalism, as noted in part one. Uh, there was an article before this, folks. Um, Albert Einstein noted humanity is going to need substantial new way of thinking of, or if it is going to survive, we see the same conclusion taking place in politics and the social sector of culture worldwide. It's undeniable that some type of shift is taking place. See, saying the same thing I said, folks, about it not just being in a church and religion, it's all over the place, especially in the secular part of the world. Um, is the sense it is the sense of synthesis 
um, putting it very simply, which will be the goal of all educational movements once the new age, new age idealism is firmly established. And that was said by Alice Bailey and Dejual Cool. Um, and there's a website there. Like I said, you can go to this and, and read it yourself and investigate all these websites. Okay. Um, interfaith is a malicious attempt to unify the world's religions to dispel with our own differences, uh, to work together toward a goal, then there are many. Uh, this goal is considered the better road. However, the Bible calls uh, the wider road. Interfaith is a pantheistic, is pantheistic in that each religion contains teachings of God, but none can have the, the whole truth on their own. They are interconnected. <clears throat> the mission is to convince you to let go of your biblical traditions. They call the old ways. For the new, they are introducing. The spirit of the age is tolerance and unity, and it's present, presented under the umbrella of love all. They need to employ this change in order to make you a disciple of the new inner spirituality. The dialectic practice works best on those who are neutral. Uh, the, the experience or shift that has people change as you think that no one no one religion has all the truth they are all like spokes in the same wheel how do you, how do i know this i used to believe that when i was part of the new age movement before i became a christian okay so i'm not going to read the rest folks you kind of get oh yeah i have to read the rest oh my goodness oh shame on me okay all right the interfaith religious views has been with us for many years but it's now starting um, to solidify with many streams converging into one. What is being offered is a spiritual integration that mixes non-biblical concepts with the Bible and presents them as equal in value. Okay, immediate misalignment. This is where it gets a little extra good, okay? Glenn Beck is often good at reporting the political climate and the influences of liberalism that has changed our, our country's values. Unfortunately, he does not see the same taking place in the spiritual climate. Well, how could he? He's a Mormon. Um, Glenn Beck's first program after coming to Fox News was on the theme, Can't We All Agree? And that was on uh, on Fox January 20th, 2009. He interviewed Joe Olstein. Uh, here we go, folks. He interviewed Joe Olstein, who, in my opinion, does not represent true Christianity, but does represent the changing church of our day. Beck began by speaking of the atheist trying to get rid of God in the inauguration of Obama. Beck said, we can't agree on anything anymore. Olstein said, you know, it's an odd day we are living in. I don't even know if I have all the answers to, uh, to it. But to me, the more that we can come together and get rid of the means of spirit, the mean spiritedness behind just like excuse me, behind just like you have been talking about there. Um, you can see you were cordial about it. Uh, you just agree. You just disagree. And you think, and I think that today a lot of uh, that has been lost. Glenn uh, then speaks of his role of the roles. Everyone has played in the media on this. Uh, what is this step to knit back together? Olstein said, you know, I don't, know if I know all the 
all that, Glenn. I don't, he said, you know, I don't know if I know all that, Glenn. I think the first step is to get behind our new president. Let's all believe that uh, he will make the right decisions. And when we disagree, well, we'll just have to rise above and above it and still do it in a spirit of love. I think that's what I don't see happening. Beck, I've got to nail, I've got a lot of mail having you on. People said to me, he's denied Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I think I'm thinking to myself, I've talked to him. I know him. I mean, you're very rooted in the gospel. <laughs> Sorry, folks. That was a pause. Uh, since time, same time, another group taking me down because of my religion. It seems that all religions are fighting with each other. I was just with Pat Robertson about a month ago, and I said, Pat, we all have people of faith, not even just, we all are people of faith, not just, uh, not even just Christianity. People of faith have got to come together. 89% of us believe in God. Why are we all cannibalizing each other? Olstein said, again, I don't know. I think that some people are, um, are so, um, there's people that every, there's people that just are very passionate about what they believe and they're, they won't stay open to anything else. And of course, I believe in, in Christ the Savior and all Olstein then looks down away from Glenn. But you know, I, I think too, Glenn, I think too, Glenn, you, you know, I've spent a lot of time in India. You know, I've been with a lot of Hindu people and they're nice and kind. You know, people that love God as well as, so I just, um, I think to me, a lot of times we get focused on, you know, even the mean, the mean spirited way of pushing somebody out. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he said to love your enemies and he went around talking to people of all faiths. But it is a crucial word when you follow up, followed it up with reversing what you said previously, because Hindus are kind and nice does not mean that they, they know that they know God or love him. I'm glad this is going to be over with soon, folks. I'm tired. <laughs> in fact, there are 300 million gods in Hinduism. Olstein's ignorance on this matter is magnanimous. He offers he offers in a place of sound doctrine his feelings of being comforted with people exactly how the world would uh, being led into the interfaith unity. Okay. Anyway, so you see, folks, you got people like Joel Olstein that are uh, leaders in ecumenism or excuse me, interfaithism. And, um, and Rick Warren, don't even get me started on him. He's uh, trying to start a new religion called Islam, where he's bringing Islamics and, and Christians together and telling them to put aside their differences. Well, their differences are as, as far as East is from West. You, they never will con converge upon each other, you know? And um, so not only folks are, is the world doing this with, um, with the new world order and, you know, us losing our, our country, it seems like um, more and more, to the um, to those who would want us to be part of a one world system, 
Um, it's it's happening in the religious faith thing. And I'm sure um, that there are those in Hinduism, that there are those in Islam, that there are those in Judaism and stuff like that. Well, I'm going to use, use, even use Judaism because that and Christianity are so intertwined. But uh, you pick your religion in Christianity. There are those um, that are so involved in all these different religions that would not want the interfaith movement. And those are the ones that are really going to be uh, flying the ointment, so to speak, to those who do want it. And only the Lord knows what will happen to us that don't want this to become a reality. So it's not just the world, folks. It's not just uh, Biden uh, turning us into a new world shill. It's not just um, Boris um, Johnson in, in London or in England, rather. He's not there anymore, I guess. But it's not just him trying to take the Brits down the, the road to perdition. Um, and it's not just Macron in France. It's not just um, the leader of Ukraine. That's really a big flying ointment to the normal thinking people. It's um, it's happening all over the world, folks. And um, in China, look at what's happening in China. Um, so everybody's got the problem in other words and um and it's those of us that can think clearly and straightly that can can come against it uh what how good will be and effective will be a coming against it um will remain to be seen until the end of all this stuff but um anyway i would encourage you to not give in to not to not uh take up the ways of these charlatans that want us to give up everything that we hold dear, both as Americans and as Christians or Messianics, whatever your moniker may be in the faith. Um, it's those of us in the Christian realm, those of us true believers that need to adhere to one another. Okay. We don't need to be adhering to the, to the, um, the Mormons or the Jehovah's witnesses, or even the, those that are in dead denominations. We need to be adhering to born again, spirit filled people that are just like us. Okay, and then we can lead the world into a revival or many, many, many revivals or whatever you have, um, because they'll see the love that we have for one another and they'll they'll want what we have. Okay, that was the same way in the the second chapter of Acts or in that time period. Uh, There's a scripture that says, look at the love that they have for one another. And that's what convinced people that they need to come to faith in Yeshua. So let's walk with Yeshua or Jesus, if that's what you choose to call him. Um, let's work towards getting together believer to believer. Um, and I mean real believer to believer, like I said, and let's just, um, <clears throat> let's just accept what the Lord has for us. Let's accept what Yahweh has for us and, and, um, us working together, um, white with black, white Christian with black Christian, um, Hispanic Christian with, Everybody else, white Christian with everybody else, black Christian with everybody else. Because uh, in Yeshua's eyes, there is no black and white Hispanic. There's just believers. There's people that love Yeshua. And that's what we need to be. Let's drop all the the uh, stereotypical monikers and just um, come to know Yeshua, know him better, and come to love one another. And I think with that, I'm going to go ahead and um, end this. Um, let's see. I want to get rid of this. All right. There we go. Well, an hour and 35 minutes. I didn't think we'd be able to cram all that into two hours. So um, I apologize for my my reading skills. They weren't at best tonight. I just, um, I guess I'm a little tired. But um, I, I really appreciate my audience, our audience. Um, 
you folks are just wonderful believers in Yeshua. And even if you're not, you know, you're, you're willing to sit here for an hour and 35 minutes listening to a man of Yahweh talk about religious things as opposed to secular things. Okay. That's, that's exemplary. Okay. It really is. So I'm going to go ahead and end this. And by the way, um, Ralph will be on next, um, next Wednesday. Um, I've got a series of appointments and stuff, so I don't know exactly when I'll be recording it, but we'll be up Wednesday night before midnight. And, um, we're going to talk about, um, the fact that, um, doctors know well and good and have for many years that the little lives that are living inside mothers, um, during the nine months of gestation are, are living human beings from the minute of their conception to the minute that they're born. And if you don't believe in that, you might not want to come next Wednesday night. Um, but come anyway, maybe it'll be a learning experience for you. And, um, <clears throat> and I will continue something else. I can't remember right now that I was going to talk about, uh, when I come back on Monday night. And, um, so we got Mondays and Wednesday nights with uh, Monday with me, Wednesday with Ralph, Thursday with me. And I'm going to try to get some more people on too. I, I want Gordy Tong to come back on because he's an awesome, he, his research is awesome. And, um, and there are others that I, I'd, I'd like to have come on and, um, be praying for us that we'd be able to get on Rumble and, and use it as a means of, uh, a, a live broadcast where everybody just come and watch at the same time. So I think that would be awesome. And if you could participate, that'd be even more awesome. So. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face rise upon you and be gracious unto you. May he watch your going out, your coming in, your rising up and your lying down. May he give you the peace that passes all understanding and may he give you knowledge of him and may he lead you if you don't know him to faith in him. No one comes to the father except through Yeshua and the father draws people to Yeshua. So I'll be praying for him to draw him, to draw you to him and Maybe we'll get to spend eternity together in heaven. Fun, huh? Okay, folks. God bless and good night.